Well, as we get ready to launch into this new season as a church, in a couple weeks we're going to be going to two services to open up more opportunity for more people to hear the gospel. Um, if you're new, our kids' ministry, we have it every week other than this weekend. We call it an audible. But our kids' ministry is really exploding at the seams, and so we're creating more opportunity for kids. We're creating more opportunity for ministry. We're creating more opportunity for people in this place who are far from Christ to come and know Christ and for us who have been found to mature and walk in our faith. So we're super excited about what is happening. And I just want to, this morning is really just the weekend that we have chosen before we launch into this next series. We've been praying through who are we as a church? Who do we want to be? What are our values? And hear this before we get going. It's not just who we are as veneration. We have prayed through this as a leadership team. And we really believe this is who we are as Christians. If you haven't noticed, there's a magnet on each one of your chairs or the bleachers. If there's not one, there's one on the table on the way out. And it's really our values that we're going over this morning, praying that God would really make us this kind of people. So you ready? Are you ready to roll? Man, that was weak. All right, there we go. That's what I'm talking about. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all you're doing in this place. God, I pray even right now as we roll out these values, God, every one of them is based upon your word. Because at this church, we stand on three pillars, prayer, the word, and worship. And everything we do comes from that. So, God, I pray that you would use this to make us the people that you want us to be. God, that we would become a people that pursue you and love you above all else. God, we are here for you because of your name, because of your glory. So, God, would you just move in this time? Would you seat your desire deep upon our heart? And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just going to launch right into it because we're a little short on time, but that arbitrary, right? Number one, here we go. Here's really who we want to be. There are eight things. As we were praying through these, we're like, man, we don't want too many, but we don't want not enough. And so it was like that praying through balance of how many do we have, and we came up with eight. We threw some out, and we kept some in. But here's, here we go. Number one is this that we are a people of grace. We give that which we have received. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Really, grace at its core is the message of the gospel. That none of us deserve God's grace. None of us deserved what he came to offer, but he gave it anyway. Grace, if we want to define it, is really God giving us what we did not deserve. Man, I desire and we desire as a team to be a people of grace. That we would be quick to forgive that we would lay down our right to be offended, and we would lay down our right to have any kind of a shock, awe effect. Do you realize how many people are hurting, and they all have stories, and they all have names, and when they come with a story, I don't want to be a person that's like, dang, shock, like shock wipes over my face because of this crazy story they have because God is pursuing them and he loves them and we are to do the same to understand people's story, to extend grace to those who are far from him and in our marriage. <laughs> Has your husband or wife offended you? We're people of grace. 
Are you struggling with something? A family member? Has someone offended you? We lay down our right to be offended. Why? Because we're a people of grace. Why? Because God extended the greatest grace the world has ever seen to us. Did you know that we cannot extend grace until we understand the full measure by which we have been given grace? If we would marinate on that, if we would rest in that, what Jesus has done for us, I promise you this, that we would have a whole lot more grace for other people because we would realize the grace that has been extended to us. Because Christ forgave us. Did you know that we cannot forgive until we realize the full weight by which we have been forgiven ourselves? And so often we walk through this life and we're so quick to be offended and we're, we hold these grudges against people that we should not. And God is saying, man, I extended the ultimate gift of grace to you. Would you please reciprocate it to others? Because that is what the gospel is founded upon. See, may our default be grace for none of us deserved it. Maybe you walked in this room and you're holding a grudge against someone for far too long. God wants you to hear this this morning, that he extended the utmost measure of grace to you so you have no excuse not to extend it to the one you're holding it against. And we as a church, we are going to pe be a people that we are a people of grace. We extend it. We give that which we have received in your marriage, in your friendships, in our family, with our employees or your employer and when you're tempted to give someone what they deserve, remember, we're a people of grace. When your spouse says or does something ridiculous, remember, we're a people of grace. And remember, grace is not compromising truth. It is loving people in and through truth. There's a big difference. See, we as a church are a people of grace. It's the first thing we are. And if we miss that, we've missed everything. Because that's where it all starts, is that God extended grace to us, so we give grace to others. Number two is this. We are fearless. We are bold as lions. Proverbs 28.1 says this, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. So the question may be, well, who are the righteous? Well, I'm glad you asked. Those who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. See, we are fearless as a church and lions are fearless, but they're also smart. Have you ever seen a lion hunt? They're fearless. But they're very specific and strategic with how they hunt. And it's the same for us as a people. We can be bold as lions and not be stupid. <laughs> it's very possible. We want to be tactical in it. We don't want to be these people that are running like cowards at every wave of whatever the world throws at us. We are going to stand strong and we are going to charge the battle fearlessly because that is who we are. In case you didn't know, the church is under major attack in this generation. Gender, pronouns, lose your 501c3 if you won't marry a same-sex couple. 
We as a culture are defining gender. We're defining all of these things. And I'm telling you right now, the government, we can already see it. I mean, places of worship have been declared non-mandatory during COVID, and they closed down. And all that to say this is, I promise you this, that more persecution is coming to this country. And when it does, we are fearless, and we are going to stand bold upon the truth. They can pull our 501c3. I don't care. Who cares? We're fearless. What did Jesus say? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And that doesn't come from a bunch of wimps. I promise you that. So we as a people are going to stand on truth. It doesn't matter what the world throws at us. Why? Because we are bold as lions. We are fearless and we will charge for the sake of the gospel. Whatever comes at us, it don't matter. And yeah, don't ain't proper grammar, but it don't matter. (laughs) We're fearless. And I pray in your marriage that you would be fearless if you're the husband and lead your family well, lead your spouse well. I pray if you're the wife to your husband that you would come under his leadership fearlessly well the way that the Bible describes it because then it's beautiful. Whatever it is, maybe you're going to work tomorrow. Be fearless for the gospel. We are a people that are fearless. Why? Because we serve the king who has already won, and we serve the king who has no fear, and therefore we charge the gates of hell bold as lions. I'm telling you, the church advances the most when persecution comes, when we stand in the face of adversity, and we don't do it in this stuck-up nose in the air, oh, I'm just better than you because I know truth. No, remember, We're people of grace. The two have to go together. We are fearless in grace. We are fearless in truth. And if they come after us, good luck, because Jesus has already won. And you know what? Finances, whatever. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Who cares? But we are fearless, and we charge the battle together because that is who we are. See, at our core, we will fearlessly take risks for the gospel, but we will not be stupid. <laughs> Calculated risk, big risk, believe God for big things. Did you know that we're doing another beast feast this year and we've rented the largest facility the fairgrounds has? We're doing it for families and it's just going to be this huge event. It can hold 2,200 people and we're doing it for one reason, for the sake of the gospel. And we're going to do it fearlessly because that's who we are. And we're going to believe God to show up because that's when he shows up. Number three, yeah, you can give God praise for that. Number three is this, we are contributors. We bring that which has been entrusted to us. Malachi 3.10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. Did you know, this is very, I preached on this a while ago, but this word bring, Malachi says, bring the tithe to the storehouse. We could say, bring your time to God. Why do we bring? We have got this very messed up in the church. We think that the church was designed around us giving to the church, giving to what God wants to do. If we're giving, then we previously owned it. We don't own anything. 
We don't own our time. We don't own our money. We don't own any of it because God has given it all to us. So bringing carries the idea of we bring back to God that which was already his to begin with. It's not ours to give. It's ours to bring. And we are contributors. Why? Because God has given us everything, and so we're just giving back to him what he entrusted to us. That is time. That is money. That is everything. We are contributors to what God is doing in this place for the sake of the gospel. And we will bring our time. We will bring our money. We will bring our resources. We will leverage the gifts that we have. We will bring our giftings and our talents. Why? Because they're all God's to begin with. We've missed it. <laughs> give to the church. Why give to the church? I mean, just because throw the 20 in the plate? I mean, that's crazy. I'm not asking you to give money this morning. That's not even what I'm saying. God is so amazingly taking care of this church. And I've preached one sermon on money, and that was in Malachi. We're not concerned about that, guys. It's all God's to begin with. We're concerned about being the type of people that would contribute to the kingdom of God, that would bring back to him what is already his, because it was his to begin with. So we need to shift our thinking of we're giving of our time and we're giving of our money to know we're bringing our tithe and we're bringing our giftings and we're bringing our time. Why? Because it's all been given to us anyways. And it's all for the sake of the gospel. So here's the question. What can you bring and what can you offer? Allison already said we're 10 volunteers short on kids and we're we probably need 10 more for teardown, but go into two services. Is there some talent that you can bring, that you can offer, that you can contribute to what God is doing? Number four is this, we are worshipers. Our gaze is fixed on heaven. Colossians 3, 2, so set your minds on things above, not on things that are of the earth. Gaze, I looked it up this week, and it means to look steadily, intently, and with fixed attention. It's very easy to go through this life and fix all our attention on really things that don't really matter. I mean, they do matter, but in the scheme of eternity, they don't really matter. We spend a lot of time on the carnal and in, in seeing what everything that we need to take care of now, and when our attention is focused there, we naturally begin to worship that. Because we are wired to worship, and we will worship where our attention is directed. It's just how it is. If all your attention is on summer in your boat, sorry, but you're worshiping your boat in the summer. Is it bad? Absolutely not. Enjoy the boat. Enjoy summer. I love it, man. I, my thing can be guns. I've had to quit buying guns. For one, I can't afford it because I had a kid. But two is it's just I had to check my heart. Because I can easily worship those things that I give myself to, but our gaze is not fixed on here, it's fixed on there. This is not our home, that is our home. This is just our earthly tent. And we as a people are fixed, gazed upon heaven, that we are just drawn there, that we just worship there that we when we're fixed on heaven we are a people of grace when we're fixed on heaven we are fearless when we're fixed on heaven we are contributors because we see that this is really all that matters is our gaze is fixed on heaven that's why we exist as the church we don't exist for ourselves we exist to give glory to the one who has given everything 
to us. See, as for us, our gaze, our attention is fixed solely on heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, the place he is returning from to make all things new. Man, what would it look like if we were a bunch of worshipers? It's one of our pillars that just gazed upon heaven, gazed upon the things that God is doing, worshipped him for who he was. I promise you that our hearts and our lives look completely different. What an amazing thing to be a worshiper of the king of all kings, to whom all creation bows, and to whom he has defeated and already won the war. We are worshipers. And if we ever miss that, we have missed everything. Number five is this. And I love this one, and I need this one. We actually were praying through this one. Do we need this one? Do we not? And I told Marcus and Tyler, I said, I need this one. I need it because I know myself, and it's this. We trust his timing. We move when marching is heard in the trees. A little context here. First Chronicles 14, 14 through 16 is what this value is based off of. But the context here is the Philistines heard that David had been anointed the king of Israel. Starting in verse 8, it says this. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel... All the Philistines went up to search for David, but David heard of it and went out against them. Now the Philistines had come and made a raid on the valley in Rephraim, and David inquired of God, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand, David asked. And the Lord said to him, Go up, and I will give them into your hand. And when he went up to Baal, Perzom, and David struck them down there, and David said, God has broken through my enemies in my hands, bursting like a flood. Therefore, the name of this place shall be called Baal, Perizim. And they left their gods there, and David commanded, and they were burned, and the Philistines yet again made a raid on the valley. But then hear this. Verse 14, and when David again inquired of God, God said to him, you shall not go up after them, go around and come against them opposite of the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the balsam trees, then go out to battle for God has gone before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as God commanded him and they struck down the Philistine army from Gibeon to Gezer. The first time, God's like, yeah, go, strike them down. I've already gone. The second time, God's like, uh-uh, it's not in my timing. You will not move until you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees. Once you hear the sound of marching, go for it because I've already won the war. We as a people trust God's timing. We don't move until he says go. I can do it, and that's why I need it, because I am very out there, and I've done things that are very destructive because I get ahead of God. What does it mean to trust his timing? We don't get ahead of him, and we don't get behind him. We walk with him. If we can do that, look out. We trust his timing. It's his church. It's his people. Building one day, I pray it comes. Setup can be brutal. <laughs> But we trust his timing because it's his church, it's his people, it's his mission, it's his plan. We as a people trust his timing. You see, I'm very susceptible of getting ahead of God. 
I pray you wouldn't get ahead of God in your marriage and in your family and in your work and in this church and on the chaos of life. Don't get ahead of him because it doesn't end well. Walk with him. Learn what it means to walk with the God of heaven, to trust his timing, and watch as he does incredible things. Did you know that there's a reason that we've been slow on rolling out ministries? Like, we're getting ready to launch youth, but we want to do things well. We don't want to do a bunch of just tons of things and do none of them well. We trust his timing when he brings the people, when he brings the resources, then we will go into the next season as a church. But to get ahead of him is honestly... Very scary to me because it's not good. We are a people that trust the timing of God and we don't move till we hear the marching in the trees. And when we hear the marching, the battle's already been won. God's already gone before us and he's already done the things that he's called us to do. That's why we trust his timing. Number six is this. We march on mission. We do not swerve from our path. Joel 2.7, like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. Everything we do as a church and as a people and as Christians is on mission for the gospel. And if it's not on mission for the gospel in this place, then we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Now, caveat, I love humanitarian aid. It's necessary. We are not going to do everything to reach everyone humanitarianly. We as a church can do that, though, as we mobilize outside of these walls. But we're not going to launch 1,500 different ministries and do none of them well. The ones we are doing are channeling into the advancement and the proclamation of the gospel. And then out of that, people rise and say, hey, I would love to start a quilt club to send quilts to Mexico or Ukraine. Man, praise God, own it, get some people and do it because we need that. The church should be doing that. The church should be feeding the poor. The church should be coming alongside those who have no home. The church should be doing all of that. But we can't do it all just through veneration. But we can because we are veneration. Own what God has called you to do and leverage it and do it well. But we do not swerve from our path. If it doesn't have to do with advancing the gospel, we're not doing it. Because that's why we exist. And if we miss it, we're in major trouble. See, our mission is the great commission. Everything we do is to that end. It's who we are. It should be the same in your family. You should be on mission, raising your kids in the Lord. You're on mission. You don't swerve from your path. Loving your wife well, loving your husband well. We're on mission. We don't swerve from that path because your family, your home is your number one ministry above all else. I will tell you that. I tell our staff that. Nothing else matters if you're not healthy at home. Your family, who God has placed you in, is your number one ministry. Are you on mission there? Are you marching on mission? Are you not swerving from your path to hobbies and work and money and assets and camping and all of this stuff? We need to channel in. We need to be focused on who God has called us to be. Why? Because we march on mission. We have two left. Number seven is this. I love this one. We walk in joy. Philippians 4.4 4 says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Did you know that a hurting world is watching? And one of the greatest attractants to those who are in darkness and lost is the joy of God's people. That you can walk through the greatest struggle and trial of your life and you can still worship. You can still have joy. You can still be fearless. You can still have grace. You can still contribute. Why? Because we walk in joy. We rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because we have been given the greatest gift the world could ever receive. We have been given salvation, eternal life, been raised from death into newness of life. I've said it before, but happiness is dictated on circumstance. Joy is not. Does that mean that we have... We don't have rough days? No, absolutely not. There's some deep pain in this room, and you may be thinking, Luke, there's no way I can have joy in this season. And I will say, well, you're right. There is no way in and of yourself that you can have joy in this season. But if you will see who Christ is, what he has done, what he has offered, it is possible. It's not always great. It's not always easy. But joy is not dictated on circumstance. Joy comes from serving and knowing that we have been raised from death to life. I want you to hear what Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. And then hear what he says. And for whom the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What gave Jesus joy? The cross? The pain? The suffering? No. It didn't give him joy. He was a human. He was a man just like any one of us. What gave him joy is what the cross, the pain, and the suffering had to offer to anyone who would believe life and life to the full. That's what gave Jesus joy. I can't imagine as he's hanging on a cross, and by the way, when we say this, man, I just want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Do you really? Because they were pierced. For our transgressions, yet he hung on the cross and he went to the grave to rise out of it, knowing that the joy that was set before him was the fullness of life for anyone who would believe. That's the gospel. That's what we're about. That's why we stand here today, because we have been given newness of life. And you're in this room, maybe, and you don't know Jesus. Hear this before we wrap up. This is the gospel. That Jesus, God, knowing we were separated from him because of our sin, willingly sent his son Jesus to go to this earth, come to this earth, completely God, perfect in every way, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins. He hung on a cross. He went to the grave. But it didn't end there. He exploded out of it on the third day to offer life and life to the full. That's what gives joy. Knowing that this is not our home. Knowing that we can gaze. Our gaze can be fixed on heaven. We are worshipers because of what he has done. And if you're in this place and you have no peace and you have no hope and you're just hurting, there is a remedy. His name is Jesus. And in Jesus is the fullness of joy. In Jesus, there is hope. In Jesus, there is peace. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Jesus' life wasn't easy. He hung on a cross. He was whipped with whips, and he was beaten, and he was crucified. That's not easy. And Jesus said, if we're going to follow him, we have to lay down our life just like he laid down his. But the outcome, the fullness of joy, see 
we walk in joy. Whatever the world throws at us, we can walk in joy, and it is attractive to those who are lost and hurting. And finally, I want to say this before we say our last one. The Bible says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. That's why we're a people of joy, because we can walk in what he has entrusted to us and given us. And the last one is this, if the band wants to come up. Number eight, we are one. We stand united under the banner of Jesus. Acts 4.32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. We are one. We are a family in this place. And the enemy wants to divide, and he wants to destroy, and he wants to cause disunity in this place. But I want to say this, through hell or high water, we stand united under the banner of Jesus. We will not be divided over petty things. When the enemy comes and tries to throw his haymaker, we are one. We defend each other. We fight for each other. When one part of the body is hurting, we all hurt. When one part of the body rejoices, we all rejoice. We are one. We are of one heart, of one soul. And guess what? We stand, the only way to stand united is under the banner of Jesus. See, we're family. We protect each other. We stand with each other. We love each other. And we don't let petty things divide us. We are one. We are in this fight together. We can have our differences. I love it. We need differences. There, in, in a room this size, there are many people with different opinions and different differences and different thoughts. And that's beautiful. God, I mean, God gives, he creates us differently to give us different perspectives and different visions of what this is and different things all around but we can't let the minor little things divide us. The enemy wants to destroy. He wants to divide. Why? Because when he divides us, then it gives a bad name to God and it gives a bad name to the church. But when we stand united under the banner of Jesus, under our king, we can do anything. We can be fearless. We can be contributors. We can be worshipers. We can be one. See, we are in this together. I said a few weeks ago, my calling is not sacred, it's not greater. All are equal at the foot of the cross. We all have different giftings. We all have different abilities. We all have different talents. And if we will bring them and let God do something with them and unite us under the banner of King Jesus, who has come to lay his life down, that we might have the fullness of life, we can do anything. Bring it on, hell. Bring it on, government. Strip our 501c3. We're united under the banner of Jesus, and he will prevail. He will fight for his church. He will fight for his people. Bring it on, baby, because we're fearless and we're going after him. But it only happens if we are one.
You know what I love about our values? It starts with we are a people of grace, and it ends with we are one, for that really encapsulates the gospel and everything that we're about. Everything in between, that's great, that's who we are, but we are defined by this. We are a people of grace. We give that which we have received, and we are one. We stand united under the banner of Jesus, and if we do that... Amazing things are going to happen in this place. And lives that you never thought would be transformed by the gospel are going to be radically transformed. And there's going to be people in this tub when we get a new liner that doesn't leak that are going to be addicted to something. And they're going to come to newness of life. They're going to be strung out. And they're going to meet this King Jesus and say, finally, I have a family. Finally, I have someone who cares because I've found my family who we are one why because someone in this church saw them for who they were not for who they have been but for who jesus saw them to be who they were to be and we are a people of grace stuck up noses never brought anyone to the gospel well it may have but not that i'm aware of God has given us the greatest gift. He has extended grace, something that we did not deserve, and he's calling us to do the same. If we will be a people of grace, and we will stand united as one under the banner of Jesus, those six things, fearless, contributors, worshipers, march on mission, all of that, it just happens. Because we are a bunch of people that walk with Jesus. And if we're not walking with Jesus, forget it and close the doors. I don't want to build an empire. I don't want to build a machine. We want to build the church, the kingdom of God in this place that cannot be stopped, that cannot be wrecked. And God has entrusted us to do it. Who is your one? Who is the one person that you are going to extend grace because we are a people of grace? Who is the one person you're going to bring in and say, be a part of us because we are one, we are family. Who is that one person? And what is your next faithful step? In that next faithful step, remember, we're fearless. Remember, we march on mission. Remember, we are contributors. One little faithful step at a time is what God uses to do incredible things. Are you ready? This is who we are. This is who we want to be, not just as a church, but at home. Take those magnets, stick them on your fridge, and don't just think of veneration when you think this. Think of your marriage. Think of your kids. Think of your coworker. Think of your job. Think of your one. Think of who we want to be as people. It's all of it, and if we will do that, God will do incredible things. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for what you're doing in this place, God. Make us this type of people that relentlessly pursue you, God, above all else. God, we just want to be people that love you, that lay ourselves down for you, God, for we are worshipers. God, do a deep work in this room. You're an amazing God, and you are doing amazing things, and we just want to get out of the way, God. We want to bow low to lift you high. God, we love you. If there's someone in this room that is brand new, God, and they don't know you, 
I pray that all that they would know as they leave is they don't need to understand all this. God, they don't need to, this isn't some Kool-Aid we're drinking. God, we are here for one reason, to reveal to them, God, that there is a God in heaven who loves them fiercely, who did everything he could to purchase their life from death and give them life. And all they have to do is believe. God, all they have to do is confess with their mouth that you're Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and they shall be saved. It's simple. Even a child can understand. And that's all that matters in this moment. God, values are amazing, but they all fall under King Jesus who has come so that the lost might be found. God, do a deep work in this room and in this place. Tenderly come alongside each person in their struggle and in their pain in their joy and in their excitement and remind them that you are great, that you are good, and that you are faithful. It's your nature, for even if we're faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot deny yourself. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen.